Our reading this morning is from the Psalm 120, the first song of ascent. As we remain standing, we will read the psalm responsively by whole verse. I will read the odd verses. Please respond by reading the even verses. When I was in trouble, I called to the Lord. I called to the Lord and he answered me. What shall be done to you, and what more besides, O oh, you deceitful tongue? The sharp arrows of the warrior, along How hateful it is that I must lodge in Meshech and dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had to live among the enemies of peace. I am on the side of peace, but when I speak of it, they are for war. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Please be seated. So we start a series called Summer in the Psalms. Summer in the Psalms 2, because if you were here four years ago in 2013, we also spent the entire summer looking at the Psalms. Uh, we were reading on our own Psalm 1 through 150, and then we preached through the Psalms that were in place there. There was a time in my past when I did not appreciate the Psalms. I'm still not great with poetry, but what I do love about the Psalms is that they have such a great mix of beautiful and completely rude, side by side almost at times. So you have the language of Psalm 23 that everyone knows. He leadeth me beside still waters. It's just beautiful, the imagery. But the very psalm before that is Psalm 22 in which the psalmist says, my bones are out of joint in this cry of forsakenness. What you find as you read through the psalms is they are full of feeling and philosophical depth. Many commentators note that they have the combination of objective theological truth and subjective experiences of emotion and faith. If you want to know God and have words to express your own experience, you go to the Psalms. And so over the course of the summer, uh, I'm gonna invite you to pick up one of these cards if you didn't already on the way out. On one side is a reading order for your own devotions, the other is what we're gonna be preaching through. And so go ahead and read through all 150 Psalms this summer. If you miss a week, don't feel guilty. Just catch on whatever date you're supposed to be on. And if you come to a Psalm that you absolutely love and you wanna sit there for the next month, that's fine. Find a Psalm that speaks the language of your heart at this season in your life. And so memorize, meditate, reread, and let these words become your prayer this summer. And that's what we're gonna be doing. Now many of you, We'll take time this summer to be away. This is a perfect thing to be doing. The Psalms, as you're going away, you'll know what we're doing here. Um, as you travel, many of you will probably also go by road, is, is my guess. Now, I don't know about you, but how many people love that final hour before departure? The final hour before departure of a road trip is possibly the most stressful time in any home. If you're on the OCD side, you're not quite sure when you've left, if everything's been unplugged and turned off, if you're on the more carefree side, you get down the road a good 10 miles before you realize you don't have a swimsuit or socks. That first process of trying to leave is a lot of contention and anxiety and stress. 
And then once you leave, once you get in the car, you need something to actually be ready to go on the road. So Sarah and I have been married for more than 19 years, and I've found that we do very different things when we first enter a car on a road trip. Sarah likes to unburden herself so that she can be fully detached from home. So that involves two things, texting every person she knows and talking to me the whole time. She's connecting with me, with others, and in the process kind of unburdening herself of things at home, texting with her sisters, with friends, with her mom, while talking to me. Now what do I wanna do when we first get in the car? I don't wanna connect with anybody. (laughs) If I could put on earphones, I would. I like to listen to music. I want an hour, hour 10 of undisturbed listening. I want an album a good rock album, a good song that I know from beginning to end, I wanna hear song one and get to song 12, then turn off the radio, then turn off the music, then turn off the iPod, then I can talk. In ancient Israel, they had a song book. They had an album. This is why I think my way of doing it's the right way to do it. (laughs) It was a soundtrack to their daily life. It was called the Psalms. But when they traveled, they had a particular soundtrack. It was a particular album they listened to, and it was called the Song of Ascents. Now, in ancient Israel, they didn't travel for fun or for work, which is basically all we do. You travel for fun or for work. In ancient Israel, they traveled for pilgrimage. Pilgrimage is an intentional spiritual journey to a destination in order to engage with the Lord. Three times a year, the Israelites were prescribed to go to Jerusalem to worship in the temple, which was the only place where God dwelled in ancient Israel. At Passover in the spring, 50 days later, on the day of Pentecost, and then in the fall at Tabernacles. And when they went on a road trip, it was not just five of them in a minivan. It was most likely the entire village would go. The entire village would have set out from 100 miles away to go on foot a journey that would have taken multiple days. You can almost imagine the excitement. If you were a kid, you would have looked forward to those pilgrimages more than anything because it would be a constant sleepover, out in tents, hanging out with friends till late at night, singing songs. And the songs that they sang as they approached Jerusalem were the songs of ascent. Psalm 120 through 135 were historically understood to be pilgrimage psalms, psalms that the Israelites read, prayed, and sang as they journeyed, preparing themselves to go to Jerusalem, to be in the presence of Yahweh, to worship God. It was their road trip mixtape, for those of you who are older, their road trip playlist, for those of you who aren't. And it prepared the people to be with Yahweh. Now, what's interesting about it is that it did so with everyday-type topics. You'll see this over the coming weeks. Psalm 120 through uh, 134 are looking at children and friendships and family, and they're also looking at raising crops and suffering and betrayal and death and loss and the need for forgiveness, all the things of daily life. What's interesting is that the very first psalm, the first one you kind of like put in the radio, put on the playlist, is Psalm 120. 
it doesn't seem to match what I would think you would need if you were heading to Jerusalem to worship. Let's read a couple of verses of this and see what it says and see how maybe it applies to us in our lives. So Psalm 120 begins like this. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. In distress, I called to the Lord. Deliver me, O Lord. Eugene Peterson identifies that this is not a happy song, but it is an honest and necessary one. And when I first read this, I thought, I was excited to do the Songs of Ascent until I read Psalm 120. I thought, really, we're kicking off a sermon series about the Psalms and how wonderful they are by talking about liars, distress. If you're putting together a songbook to go to the temple, if you were putting together a songbook to go to worship, it's not the sort of song that you would put in the first song on the playlist. But it's also a very real start. It's a very honest start. It's acknowledging that life, even with God, is not always easy and it's not always happy. And if you are gonna go on that journey to Jerusalem, if you are going to enter worship, you've got to at least start by unburdening by laying down your stress and your anxiety, which is what we do when we get in the car, right? Uh, how many of you came to worship today, came to church, totally happy and smiley? I've found in talking to people that, that some of the most stressful journeys you take are the five minutes from your house to this place. For some reason, husbands and wives find reasons to be more angry at each other in the five minutes on their way to church than they do at almost any other time of the day. Kids want to fight, and they don't want to be with their parents. There's a lot of anger, a lot of this isn't the way it's supposed to be, but then you walk through the front doors, right, and then you have the smile. Everything's just fine. We're all happy. We're Christians. This is the way we look all the time. which is why Psalm 120 is a great start, right? If you're gonna enter into worship, let's at least start by being honest. Maybe a quarter of you were really happy and smiley this morning. The rest of you need Psalm 120. It's the recognition that we come with everything, even our brokenness and our fighting and our stress and our not wanting to be here. The psalmist continues on. He talks about the liars that he had started talking about. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Now don't get caught up on the poetry, which is what I did when I first read this. Commentators are really good at clearing it up. Basically what he's doing here is he's identifying that he has been dealing with an enemy, a betrayer, a rival, somebody who has been oppressing him, an offender who has hurt him deeply. And he wants to bring about what they deserve, arrows and hot coals. Now the question is, is this justice he's seeking or revenge? So what he wants for these people who have lied about him, who have betrayed him, he wants arrows, meaning he wants their death, 
Oh, and on top of that, he wants fire. He wants to flatten and burn everything in its place. So he doesn't just want to execute his enemies. He wants them to be completely wiped off. Yes, kill him and burn his village. It seems slightly disproportionate to being lied about, to a little bit of gossip, but it's honest. He's being honest about how he feels, dealing with somebody who has hurt him so much. He continues to pour out his complaint to God in verse five and six, woe to me that I sojourn in Meshach and dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. Meshach and Kedar were all the way up north in the top part of Turkey, what is now Turkey, and down in Saudi Arabia. It's hundreds and hundreds of miles from Jerusalem. He's identifying himself as an alien and a foreigner. We don't know that he actually is, but at least in his experience, he feels very, very far from Jerusalem, from home, from being with God. He's in a a place of dissonance and disorientation where the life he's living and experiencing does not align with what he desires. And then he finishes off with this pleading despair. He writes, I am for peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. I am for peace. Literally, it's ani shalom, I peace. I am peace. And shalom, of course, we've talked about it here. One commentator was really good. He said, shalom, James May said, shalom is the hopefulness of a life knit into the fabric of relationship to God, others, and the world. It is the at-oneness that makes for all good. To be in harmony with God, with everyone else, and even with yourself. That's what shalom is. Now the question is, when he says, I am shalom, is that actually his reality? I don't think so. I think it's actually his longing and desire. I want to be in shalom. I want to experience that peace and that wholeness and that wellness that comes with dwelling at peace with God and others and myself but he can't, he says, because they are for war. A final solemn note. He's fed up and done with it, and he needs God to answer his plea. Okay, who wants to journey to Jerusalem now? (laughs) I want vengeance. They're for war. I'm not where I belong. What he's describing sounds like a conflicted person. He's for peace, right? He says, I am peace, but he wants arrows and fire for his enemy. (laughs) Are you really for peace? I think he's experiencing that disorientation of in-betweenness, as Eugene Peterson called it. He is in between his present circumstances, which he doesn't want, and his longings for a future in heaven with God. He's far away an alien feeling, and he wants to be at home. He wants peace, 
but everything around him is war, and he needs God to bring justice to get there. I don't know about you, but my experience has been that living in between, that disorientation of having circumstances in life that don't match up with your desires is pretty common. If you've lived more than a couple of decades, you will get to the point when you realize your life is not going as you had planned. My guess is if we went around the room today and we talked to everyone in here and let every person share their story, they would have some version of that in-betweenness. You wanted to be married, and you're not. You had these dreams of a perfect marriage, and that looks nothing like the marriage that you experience. Your life has been racked with sickness. You've dealt with sickness. You're currently dealing with sickness. You had a career vision, and you're several rungs short of that career, and you don't see it getting any better. And who of us who have been around for a couple of decades hasn't faced death directly, losing the people closest to us? My guess is, regardless of what you're feeling and experiencing today, that disillusionment and disorientation, that your experience is not abnormal. It's just a different story with the same disharmonious note. Feeling in between what I want, what I desire, what seems right, and what I actually live in. Pain brought to God has the power to deepen us immensely because it opens us up for our need for God. Suffering can enable a God dependence that forms us fully into the image of Christ who depended on his Father and suffered for us. So take your in-betweenness and acknowledge it and bring it to God. To God is the second thing we get in this psalm. The psalmist is suffering He doesn't like where his life is, and yet he goes to God. And that's the call to each of us, regardless of what you're dealing with right now. Go to God again and again and again with everything. And you know what's great about the Psalms is that they are filled with complaint. They're filled with complaint to God. They let it all hang out, and they go to God. There is complaint and anger and frustration. One of the common refrains in the Psalms is, how long, God, how long is this gonna keep happening? When will you show up? Where are you, God? And they're honest. They talk about things like revenge. Not just in our Psalm, one of the Psalms talks about breaking their arms. Another one, shatter their teeth. That's how I feel, God. I want their arms broken. You can use the Psalms to go to God with your complaint. But we also need to think about how we approach it, right? Now, I know that if any one of you was asked or called up here, you you would say, you're not a ranter, you're just being honest, right? 
You're just being honest about how you feel, and that's why you like to share your feelings so honestly with everyone. You see this when you're asked in, in close quarters with somebody you actually trust about how you would like to deal with somebody who has hurt you. If you've been hurt by somebody or, or even offended by somebody, even if it was just a small thing, what you do is you end up circling in your mind, you imagine what you would like to do or say to them if it was socially acceptable or not against the law. There's things that you can conjure up almost right away, and if you have a really good vivid imagination, you can imagine the sorts of things you would like to do to them if you were only a little bit stronger and there wasn't a police force out there to stop you. This psalm and the psalms say, that's okay, but go to God with that. Go to God first and not to your grumble buddy. Everyone has a grumble buddy. It might be a spouse, a best friend, it might be your journal. You just want to lay it on with them. You want somebody to say, yeah, I'm with you. I, too, would break their teeth. Psalm 120 says, go to God with that. Bring your complaint and your woe to him. But be honest with God. Admit your feelings, your anger, especially if you have been hurt, if you have been wronged, if you have been offended, if somebody has done an injustice to you. Go to God. It's not fair, God. Why did this happen, God? I need justice now, God. But the process of going to God with your hurts and your offense is not a quick and simple thing. It's not a simple prayer you just toss out there. True soul work takes time. It takes honesty and seeking God. So bring your complaint to God, but ultimately in, in bringing your complaint to God, you're entrusting your complaint to God. You're handing it over, and you're letting God do what he will according to his purposes and not yours. And this is especially true, as is cited in Psalm 120, when you're dealing with an offender, when somebody has hurt you or wronged you. At some point, you have to realize that you are not the Lord. And it may be that your anger is justified, but it's most likely that holding on to grudges and bitterness feels like you're paying them back. But there is a self-righteousness and an arrogance that is beneath unforgiveness because in it you are playing God. You are the judge and God is not. So bring your complaint to God but entrust it to God so you can let it go. Joshua Moody and John Goldingay, a pastor and a commentator, identified it this way as they were talking about Psalm 120. Take all the bitterness that you have swallowed and leave it in God's hands. We can do our best to be forgiving and yet not be able to get rid of the poison of resentment in our hearts. This psalm suggests that not to deny that poison's existence, but to own it and bring it to God. Be honest about the depth of your emotion and bring it to God. 
so that you can entrust it to God fully, so you can forgive even the worst offender, so you can actually let it go and enjoy freedom. We are most fully human when we are most trusting God, not when we act like God in our lives or over others. So give everything to God. Eugene Peterson notes that only twice in this psalm does the psalmist talk about the Lord, talk about God, and yet he, he writes, God, once admitted to the consciousness, fills the entire horizon. Once God is brought to bear on the psalmist's complaint, it changes what's brought in. It changes the starting point, the perspective, the end goal. I found this in my own life that when you allow God's truth to enter your thoughts, you bring God to bear that it changes how I view myself. Because I realize I am made by God with a purpose and I am loved by God. So what else matters? And when I bring God to bear in the situation, it also changes how I view others, how I view them. Because I also have to realize God made them. God loves even them. When God is brought to bear, it takes the sting away and allows me to let go. With every circumstance, your despair, your grief, your hurts, your anger, go to God, just as the psalmist does. Jerusalem is the destination of the pilgrims that are wandering towards Jerusalem every time, three times a year as they're singing these songs of ascent. It's the destination because it's where Israel believed God dwelled. God dwelt in the temple. Jerusalem personified, if you would, God dwelling with Israel. Jerusalem personified him protecting, providing, saving, bringing shalom. But when the New Testament comes, we get a reversal. Jesus, not a building, not a city, is the actual personification of God. He is Emmanuel, God with us. In Jesus, we no longer need to go on a journey to go find God. God goes on pilgrimage to us. He comes for us, the gospel tells us. He lived with us, died for us, and rose to bring life to us if we'll just admit that we need him. In Jesus, not in some city, not even in this church building that's not a church building. In Jesus, the Lord of justice and shalom journeyed to find us. And he asks, are you willing to be found by him? Which means, are you willing to give everything to him? The Christian life is a pilgrimage of sorts. It's an intentional journey to our spiritual home. It involves a lifetime of focus on God, the things of God, the ways of God. And because it involves a lifetime, it's going to involve complaint and praise and a lot of confession and entrusting every step to him. The beauty of a series like Summer in the Psalms is that it is the perfect songbook, prayer book, journal, for every stage of life. It's the perfect road album 
for where you are. So read the Psalms this summer so you can find the thoughts and emotions that fit your current stage and so that you can see in the Psalms the God of justice and salvation and shalom. The Psalms invite us to come to the one who knows your despair and your anger and deepest heart's desires better than even you do. Let's pray. God, as we live a life that desires you and eternity, we live in the dissonance of a world that is filled with suffering and sickness and loss and hurt. Enable us to give our heart's emotions and our deepest desires over to you and to find in you hope, home, shalom. Amen.